I'd like to start by acknowledging the lands that myself and 3CR are broadcasting from. 3CR broadcasts from the unceded lands of the Woiwurrung Rwandari peoples of the Kulin Nation, and I am joining you from the lands of the Bunurung people of the Kulin Nation. I pay respect to their elders, past and present, and I also extend my acknowledgement to the country you are listening from today. You are currently listening to Dreaming Disability Justice and Abolitionist Futures. In June this year, the Emerging Writers Festival hosted two incredible events amongst many others, Dreaming Disability Justice and Imagining Abolitionist Futures. In this program, you will hear readings and performances from just some of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and other Indigenous writers who shared their words at these events. Hosted by Vanamale Hermans, Dreaming Disability Justice featured five talented disabled writers from across so-called Australia, sharing their dreams of a future grounded in disability justice. Without further ado, here's Vanamali. So tonight we're coming together to dream and imagine a world rooted in disability justice. And I think that this is a very special event for all of the disabled writers and also our disabled audience tonight, because at writers' festivals and in the literary scene, disability is still very much rooted in a deficit discourse and there's not much space for disabled joy um, and there's not much space to kind of move beyond the violence that we regularly experience and to actually imagine the world and the ways of caring for each other that we want. And so that is what um, has kind of spurred the creation of tonight's event. Um, so Dreaming Disability Justice is actually a reference to a book called Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice by Leah Lakshmir Pjotsna Samrasina, who is a queer disabled femme writer, organiser, performance artist and educator of Berger, Tamil, Sri Lankan, Irish, Roma ascent. It's a really beautiful book and I love it very much and it gives me a lot of hope as a disabled person. And I note that Leah's work is... Um, very much connected to the work of a lot of disability justice activists across Turtle Island, which many of you may know as North America. Um, and this disability justice work is led by black and brown queer disabled people, um, in particular a collective called Sins Invalid. Um, and I quote that collective in saying that disability justice is a vision and practice of a yet to be, a map that we create with our ancestors and our great grandchildren onward in the width and depth of our multiplicities and histories, a movement towards a world in which everybody and mind is known as beautiful. So tonight, the five disabled writers that you'll be hearing from are all members of a newly formed disability justice network. Um, it's a group led by and for multiply marginalized disabled people across so-called Australia. And in the spirit of love and justice, the Disability Justice Network has come together to share space, organise, provide mutual aid, um, and essentially care for each other. So I would really encourage everyone to donate to our mutual aid fund. But yeah, anyway, before we begin, I also will be doing a reading tonight. Um, it was going to be like a really cool kind of mix that I'm working on with um, a UN DJ called Emily Fishpool but unfortunately I wasn't ready in time. So I'm just gonna give you a preview and a reading of the poem before we head on to the rest of our wonderful readers tonight. 
So this is a poem I wrote um, about, yeah, my visions of disability justice and it's called Beyond Sleep. Dreaming extends beyond sleep. It is a practice that I keep building on while I am awake. It is not hope. I do not wait for hope. It is imaginary turned material, turned mutual aid and action, pushing the limits of what we tell ourselves is possible, a way of caring for and relating to each other, grounded in both past and future. Like Audrey, my visions of a future I can create have been honed by the lessons of my limitations, have been honed by generations of my disabled kin and the violence that has been inflicted upon our bodies. My visions have been shaped by a view beneath the veil, illuminating the connections between ableism and racism, an understanding of power and white supremacy and whose body is worth more than others. What my waking dreams tell me is that amidst the violence, there is liberation to be found, a world where the prison walls are burned down, group homes and psych wards burned down, a world where hospitals are transformed and networks of care and solidarity are born in the spirit of abolition and justice for the communities that have birthed us. In this life, I accept I may be driven by anger, an unruly partner I must learn to live with, whose touch has changed heart and skin and bone, an emotion become embodied as inflammation grows. Inflammation is the body's process of fighting against things that harm in order to heal. So I ask that within this struggle, let me feel only anger and grief that is grounded in love. Although they may dehumanize us, my disabled brothers and sisters, we are neither disposable nor defective. Our deaths are not destined. Our humanness extends beyond their imagination. Beyond the confines of wellness or productivity, we are beloved, kindred and needed and in dreams that extend beyond sleep, may we find freedom. Amazing. That's very nerve-wracking. <laughs> um, so without any more from me, I'm going to pass on to our first speaker for the night, who is Julia. Julia Roseback is a Sikh, queer, Maori, Polish writer, survivor, and abolitionist, born and raised in Borlu, so-called Perth, and based in Nam, so-called Melbourne. Their work discusses care work, collectivism, abolition, and living with complex chronic illnesses. Outside of writing, Julia spends their time napping, reading memoirs, hanging out with their cats, and deadlifting. <laughs> so I'll pass over to Julia now. Thank you so much, Marley. That was so beautiful. What a privilege to be here tonight and to share this space with so many other incredible disabled creatives. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which I'm speaking today, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respect to elders past and present and any First Nations people in this space today. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. A visual description of myself, I have short blonde hair, I'm wearing a bit of makeup and a black turtleneck. Um, I'm sitting in front of a white wall with a few prints on it um, in my bedroom. 
For a long time, I associated disability with the language of loss. Loss from Old English loss, L-O-S, meaning ruin, destruction. And the Proto-Germanic lausa, L-A-U-S-A, to loosen, divide, cut apart. Loss implies there was something had that one couldn't keep. With disability, we lose movement, function, mobility. In madness, we lose our minds. When asked to proceed, we're at a loss. In Crip Theory, Cultural Signs of Queerness and Disability, author Robert McGrewer speaks of compulsory able-bodiedness, the understanding that to be able-bodied is the standard, which situates disability as an imperfection, a lacking or a loss. Able-bodiedness is the thing we couldn't keep. And able-bodiedness, at the end of the day, is as much a social construct as is gender or race. It is based on capitalistic ideas of productivity, where being able-bodied means having the capacity to physically exert oneself as required in the production of labour. By contrast, disability is a diversion from productivity in a society that values productivity above all else. An inability to produce is conflated with worthlessness, a lessening or loss of worth. In 2002, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and a mood, uh, a mood disorder. Here began my ruin, destruction, loosening or dividing of parts. Without realising, I began the lifelong process of severance. I took note of the good parts and the bad. The good parts were those that were still salvageable, those that could accommodate for or reconcile those that were bad. The bad parts harboured my sickness where something was somehow lost in my making. Over time, I created what Mia Mingus once called an able-bodied washed version of myself. A me that could hide the bad parts for undetermined periods of time. This is what I adorned as best I could when engaging with others. I wore this able-bodied costume knowing that doing so allowed me easier access to love that was rich in hope, dreams and aspirations. It's amazing how different hope looks when divided between disabled and non-disabled children. In non-disabled children, we hope for success, prosperity, adoration, wealth, love. In disabled children, we hope that one day they will be disabled no longer. I spent many years wondering what about me welcomed sickness as a child. With both autoimmune diseases and mood disorders, there is no established cause. Current theories include environmental factors such as toxins or chemicals, diets or infections. Interestingly, medicine suggests both autoimmune diseases and mood disorders can be caused or exacerbated by stress, which is to say how the body responds to trauma and by genetics, which is to say the blood and bones of my ancestors. I wonder then how Western medicine considers the impact of colonization, war, genocide and displacement on how disability is created. Perhaps what Western medicine often ignores is how the interplay of stress and genetics speaks to historical intergenerational trauma. How settler colonialism continues to impact not only who becomes disabled, but additionally our access to health and healing. 
I use Western medical terms for consistency, but I'm hesitant that Western terminology can honour the many constituents of my mind, body and soul. To quote Johanna Hedva, I am antagonistic to the notion that the Western medical insurance industrial complex understands me in my entirety. Perhaps my disability can be traced back some 200 years to European settlers colonising Aotearoa, kidnapping and impoverishing Tangata Venua, exposing my ancestors to European illness and disease, introducing a high-fat, high-sugar Western diet, and depriving them of their land, waters, and access to traditional healing practices. Or perhaps my disability can be traced to the displacement of my great-grandparents after Nazi Germany invaded Poland, how the inhumane conditions during his time as a prisoner of war caused irreparable damage to my great-grandfather's heart and lungs. To refer back to the language of Western medicine, traumatic events can leave a chemical mark on a person's genes, which can then be passed down to the next generation. To what extent was my disability inherited, a product of the anxiety, the fear, the grief and the anger that came before me? Here is where I arrive at disability justice. Disability justice considers how settler colonialism creates and exacerbates disability, how the dispossession and decimation of land and culture innately affects access to healing. Disability justice considers how the conditions created by colonialism and capitalism are inherently disabling, how a history of colonialism and capitalism have disproportionately disabled Indigenous peoples worldwide how disabled people living under these conditions are continually subjugated, imprisoned, institutionalised or killed. To quote Patty Byrne, disability justice honours the long-standing legacies of resilience and resistance, which are the inheritance of all of us whose bodies or minds will not conform. When I dream of disability justice, I'm dreaming for my ancestors. I'm dreaming for generations of loved ones who have been displaced, institutionalised, criminalised and incarcerated due to their disability, sickness or madness. I'm dreaming for the Black and Indigenous disabled people, the disabled people of colour, the disabled sex workers, the fat disabled people, the criminalised disabled people, the poor disabled people, the currently or formerly incarcerated disabled people, the queer and trans disabled people, the disabled drug users, any and all disabled people whose disability intersects with any other oppression they may face. I dream for all disabled people who aren't considered in their entirety. I dream for all disabled people who aren't considered whole. And with this, I dream for my child self, how she divided herself, separating the good parts and bad, learning to hide the bad parts in order to perform able-bodiedness and performing able-bodiedness in order to be loved. For her, I am piecing myself together again. For her, for my ancestors, for my children and my great-grandchildren, for all disabled people who have been and will be in all our complexity, our perfection and imperfection, our histories and multiplicities, our endless possibilities. Thank you for listening.
You're listening to Dreaming Disability Justice and Abolitionist Futures on International Day of People with Disability. Our next speaker is Eleanor. Eleanor McDonald is a young disabled paradigma person who passionately engages with disability justice, abolition and Indigenous philosophies in their day-to-day practice. They write, create and live between Nam and Trawana Luchawida. Welcome, Eleanor. Hello everyone. Um, I'm, my name is Eleanor. Uh, I come to you tonight um, from the country of my own peoples, the Paradarama Nation. Um, it feels very special uh, to be able to share my words from my own country tonight. Um, for visual description, uh, I have mid-length red hair. I'm wearing glasses. I have on a burgundy red dress and my background is a white wall and a dark wardrobe. I spent a long time trying to think how I could frame such a piece, my visions of disability justice, of a world in which it was more than a word to be described, explained and explored. And as always, my mind would return to the same idea, unconscious as it was, a shade, a colour, a promise. Purple. This is the thing that to me encapsulates disability justice in all its complexity and promise. Beyond static definitions and essentialized ideas of what is and what can be, purple is not a beginning or an ending. It is the in-between of work and resistance that produces the radical promise of disability justice. But let us be clear, it is not the imaginings of hope. Hope has no place or space within our work, not as, not as it is typically understood. It abandoned us long ago. Hope cannot produce the radical shiftings and dreamings we hold within us, work to spin into reality the world we wish to inhabit. Purple is the fire that burns within me when I am locked up yet again within white walls of hospital, medical, institution. The drive that guides and sustains whilst my body, mind, black spirit, is degraded and erased. The fire we build and guide into healing and renewal, into something that goes beyond trauma and pain, beyond loss and grieving. Purple is the collective spirit we build within and without as we dream of a wider world beyond. I lost hope long ago when I was driven mad beneath colonial gazes like those of my ancestors before me, hidden and wounded, when I lay dying again and again at the hands of a medical complex designed just right to finish me, us, when my body was failing and even my family started to become afraid that the medical system would refuse to save me, then I discovered disability justice in all its radical openness at my lowest point, when the body was weak and medicalization was doing its job of denying me a quality of life. It started with a yarn, as black spaces often do, a sharing of frustrations and fears, of dreams and possibilities. We yarned and we yarned and our space grew, and all the while we were fighting. Twice that year, my body nearly did not make it, and yet we continued on, not special or fated, There is no planning in the loss of our lives at the hands of the colony, just luck. It wasn't us, but it could have been. 
So hope is not to be found in purple dreamings. Hope is not found in survival. Each of us who have found space within disability justice have our own complex stories of survival and will continue in these survival resistances for as long as we can live. Ours is not a place of guaranteed existence. We are the in-between. Purple are the spaces of mutual aid and regeneration, a site of rest and renewal, scarce found elsewhere. Purple is the promise of medicine undone and examined, an industrial complex unpicked and ended. Purple is the rebuilding and reshaping, enacted in testament to the many bodies, minds, spirits that were lost before it could become reality. Purple is the promise of meaning, that, it, that this is not simply a dream and nothing more. This is no empty project of ideas and philosophical writings. This is a sustainable future built upon resistance, upon mutual renewal. We write and speak and work, not because it soothes our dying, dying pillows, but because we must, to have a world beyond this, a world that goes beyond and then further than that, it will not be the work of the colonies or the hand of the white saviour. It will not be the workings of integration into already rotted systems. Our world is already here in some many ways. It is partly brought into existence by our collective imaginings, far greater, more expansive than can be shared in this space tonight. It is held in our work within communities today and tomorrow, within our struggle to maintain as we have begun, together, centered in indigenous ways of being, our ways, in abolition beyond academic text and in intersectional collective liberation. The world is already here, though most cannot yet envision it, touch it or see it. The world is purple as it rests within my spirit, within our continual remakings of what can and should be, purple in the between, in between of what is and what will be. Thank you so much, Eleanor. That was beautiful. Um, and I'm so, so grateful to share this space with you and to know that thus far you have survived the horrors of the medical industrial complex in the colony and to know that we can continue creating different ways of caring for each other. You've been listening to readings by Black and Indigenous writers who were featured in the Emerging Writers Festival event, Dreaming Disability Justice, curated by Vanamali Hermans. Next up, you'll hear performances and readings from queer and trans Aboriginal women and writing from another incarcerated woman with disabilities who shared their visions for prison abolition at the Emerging Writers Festival event, Imagining Abolitionist Futures, hosted by Nayuka and Whitgorry. This was another powerful storytelling event that was also broadcast in full by 3CR's Doing Time program. Here is an excerpt. Next up, we have Ash. Ashley Chapman is a 27-year-old lesbian woman diagnosed with autis autism spectrum disorder. She served a sentence of three years in the Dane Phyllis Frost Centre, which is here in Victoria. We'll talk a little later this evening about a campaign to stop the expansion of that prison um, and also Tarangower Prison. She was sent back for two years on remand and is currently still inside. 
Whilst incarcerated, she saw a broken and troubled system and set out on a path to make it a better place. Becoming the first identif- becoming the first woman to advocate and represent the LGBTIQ plus and disability community while she was still in prison in Victoria. Passionate and determined from a young age, she has overcome many obstacles and continues to fight for the rights of others. Ash obviously can't be here tonight, but we're so thankful that she was able to send us this piece. And our thoughts are with you, Ash. Thank you so much. This is called A Future Captured by Ashley Chapman. The voice is beautiful. My lungs filled, fill with a relieved gasp. I expected a sentence to prison, a feeling of chest tightening, breath weak, metal and voices, a life, a life of strip searches and beatings. But I have a table of warmth and empathy, compassion and communication, an unwavering sense of belief and understanding with the outcome forever changed for me and everyone is utterly breathtaking. A chance, I tell you, at real recovery, support, and the understanding of who we are, our background, our life, our everything, with a simple question, a simple why, which leads to further questions and genuine support. Why are you here? Why did you do it? The real truth, the further questions, how can we help? And help, I mean real help, homes, counselling, communication, support, material aid, counselling of all forms, warmth, food, shelter and clothing, necessities, and so much more. Where the media report the person behind the story, not the glamour lie. Where everyone understands that people need support and help, not bars and forced solitude where governments say no to prisons and yes to actual help and improving and do it. Actions, not just words. Thank you. Next up, we have Rosalina Curtis. Rosalina is a black transgender activist with years of experience in advocacy and activism for the rights of trans people. Rosalina is originally from Alice Springs, but has been living in Sydney for the last seven years, and we are so excited she could make it tonight. Here she is. Thank you very much for inviting and having me. And yes, um, my name is Rosalina Curtis, originally from Central Arundel tribe in Alice Springs and surrounding areas of Central Australia, and I've lived um, all over Australia except WA and Tasmania. That's the only two on my bucket list. <laughs> and I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners where I am at the moment. Um, um, yeah, and the O-Nation of the Gadigal people, um, of the O-Nation, sorry. And um, I'd like to sh- more or less, um, I do storytellings and, yeah, do like, write stories as well but more or less I'm a storyteller and I'd like to share some of my testimonies of how I grew up grew up leaving home at a very like young age self-identifying myself you know being transgender and traveling and living homeless you know experiences of homelessness and just experiencing the constant you know um harassment from the authorities the police and just kept surfing and having these really strict 
um, laws in Northern Territory, especially like now the interventions in there and these racist laws. And and growing up in, in Northern Territory, you know, just couch surfing and finding myself, then you have laws like the protection laws in Northern Territory where like, if you, if the police see that, oh, they can just arrest you, like, you know, like, especially if you're Aboriginal and trans. I got into the sex industry as well at a younger age, you know, going around and being a sex worker with other transgender girls and the police would constantly harass us and they'd just throw us in, you know, and take us to the police station and um, would be, you know, some of us getting incarcerated and um, just, yeah, to saying that they, it's for our own protection. Protecting what? What do we need protection from? More, more, um, first of all, we need protection from you, police. And yes, and you know, even living in Sydney, we have these racist laws like the STMP, you know, the Suspect Target Management Program. As soon as you come out or if you're in trouble with the police, and with the authorities, you have your 50% of people living in New South Wales are on that suspect target management program, which you're all you're always targeted from the police. So you you know you can't. It's like you can't do anything. You go down the street, the police go, oh, we know you. We just want to you know, and they just do it out of intimidation, and just to show you know their power and authority and they use and abuse that. And then you have these, you know, around Australia, especially in, you know, remote communities and, you know, smaller um, community um, towns and that, where police, they say, they pick up transgender girls, especially if you're a sex worker, they take you out in the bush and then they say to you, fork it or walk it. In other words, spread your legs, spread your legs and give yourself to me or else you're going to go to jail. And you know, these are the sort of things that need to stop. And I'll, as long as I'm alive, I will. I want to see changes and fight against these sort of things and these discriminating laws and racist laws that is targeting my Aboriginal, especially my Aboriginal transgender community, you know, because when you come underneath that category of being Aboriginal, not only an Aboriginal, then being transgender, then being a sex worker, and you know, you're, you're a minority of a minority, minority, minority. And as long as I'm alive, I, I want to see changes, and I'm going to fight for that no matter what. And we need to all, you know, I want to live in, you know, feel that abolish all of these races, want to see all these racist laws and abolished. And we have to go as, you know, Yuka said at the start, you know, it started from the start, from the colonialism. And we need to go back to the start and, you know, and we need to sit down together as one and we need to make changes for the better for our people. Because how is, how is we, are we, how are we gonna heal as a nation? And how are we going to heal as, you know, that, um, that, you know, that generational trauma? And 
as long as I'm alive and I will speak and I will tell my story and I want to see changes for the better for everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rosalina. Thank you so much, my sister. That was so deadly. So our last speaker for tonight is Tabitha Lee. Um, Tabitha is a proud Gudujamara woman born and raised on Kerna Yoda. Uh, anyone who's read Tabitha's work or her Twitter account knows she's a staunch abolitionist who never, who's never one to hold back on the realities of criminalization and incarceration in all its forms. Um, it's a privilege to have you here tonight, Tabs. Please welcome Tabitha Lee. Thank you so much. It's quite intimidating going after that amazing lineup. So thank you. Nyata nyatuk nyatli on budaminya nyatuk bunditmaro mayapo wanga nyuntu wanyo kumia alamin gana miring timonye yana popa miring. My name is Tabitha, or as my ancestors know me, Budaminyan. I'm a Bunditmaro woman born and raised on Ghana Yurta. So I pay my respects tonight to the Ghana people on whose land I stand. As an uninvited guest on this country, I recognise that my ability to do this work in this place and space is leveraged of the continued dispossession of the Ghana people from their lands. This country always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And I'd also like to acknowledge my brothers, sisters and kin who are presently sitting in cages in our own country. I thank my ancestors and our creators for allowing me to do this work. Um, I'm honoured to be doing this reading with you this evening and to be a part of this panel with Nyuka and Wit, two incredibly awesome human beings who have come to feel like family to me. I value the work they do, the support they've shown me and the fierceness within which they advocate on behalf of all of those trapped in the carceral net. So let's begin. I am number 177057. That is the six-digit number assigned to me by the state. The six-digit number that hangs from my neck like a noose. A six-digit number that has forever altered my dialogical relationship with the state. But perhaps as an Aboriginal woman, that was inevitable. After all, my existence is political. My presence is radical resistance. Every breath I draw is in defiance of a nation state designed to eradicate and erase my kind. Tonight is my all time favorite topic, imagining abolitionist futures. I mean, it's the ultimate topic. We get to settle back and imagine liberation. We get to conjure up emancipatory pathways. We get to use our creativity to develop ways to liberate us from all from the tethers that bind us, the colonial shackles which hinder us and kill some of us. And we get to lift the colonizers' boots from our throats, even if just for a moment, that's a relief. I mean, we get to pull out the bolt cutters and free each other of the chains which restrain and constrain us. And most excitingly, we get to breathe life back into our spirits, into our communities, into our black bodies, our black lands and our black waters. We get to remake and rebuild the social and ideological landscape of this place. We get to dream beyond what we are told is realistic. We get to infinitely stretch our understanding of what's possible. We get to allow our imaginations to grow as large as galaxies. We get to imagine freedom. 
So I was sitting in the lounge thinking about this topic the other night. The moon was full and the sky a brilliant black. I don't sleep, you see. The trauma from the depths of hell creep into my mind in the wee hours and rob me of my rest. The castle giants who trod their muddy footprints across my body and soul and laid to rest my peace come each night and keep me awake by teasing at the edges of my conscience with recollections of their non-consensual violations of my body. Their actions play like movies in my mind and I can't close my eyes. I can't submit to sleep because only in the awake times can I arm myself in safety. But I was thinking about this idea of abolitionist futures and I reasoned, I don't long for the future. I long for the past. I long for the past because that's where the answers and solutions lay. I think we must travel backwards in order to propel forwards. Myself, I long for simpler times. I long for the times when my cook wouldn't witness the passing of seasons and passage of moments by the constellations in the sky, the growth of a berry, the migration of a bird, a time when the largest tree held a whole song cycle, a time when the guardian spirits sat high in those sacred trees watching over our children, a time when we could see our whole history written in the stars and our future in the lines in the sand, a time of simple complexity, a time when we were free, when we were not shackled to a colony built to classify and extinguish us. And I don't long for that time for the sake of nostalgia, but because that is our time. And it's important for non-Aboriginal abolitionists to understand this. The system that has brutalised and tormented me and my kin, the same system I'm working every day to dismantle, is not my system. This is your system, a system designed to keep people like you safe from people like me a system that wields its harms for the sake of justice, order and safety, a system that has only existed in this country for 233 years. But my people and our ancient laws have existed on this land since the very first sunrise, since the creator spirit travelled across time and space and grew up the land forms and gave the sky a moon and a sun. So let me be very clear. I don't toil and work every day to dismantle the system because it is my responsibility or my job, because it isn't. I work to dismantle the system because it is killing my people. It is literally stealing the oxygen from our lungs and strangling our mother country. This system, your system, is genocide by design. I work to dismantle this system to liberate my people, and in doing so, you will benefit because abolition of the entire carceral state has the capacity to free the coloniser. And I'm about freedom for all, not just a select few. I work to dismantle this system for all of us. So when I want to imagine an abolitionist future, I travel back. I travel way back to my ancestors' time. I travel back to a time that existed before police and judges, ministers and reverends, a time before prisons, surveillance, detention and parliaments, a time before bosses and journalists, scarcity and harm, death and denial, a time before linear time, paydays, news cycles, elections, gender binaries and transphobia, a time where people and country met more than profit, property and wealth, a time before pollution and mining and fracking and drilling, a time before punishment and exile. I journey my way home. 
a home filled with love and light and abundance and healing, transformation, wholeness, peace, serenity, food, shelter, education, health, art, beauty and freedom. A time of community solidarity, collectivism and interdependence. A time of infinite possibilities and family and community and country. A time centred on collective action, mutual aid, self-determination and centering the leadership of the marginalised. Hell, a time before there was even a marginalised son. A time where we live the change we want to see. And I'm sick of telling people telling me it's impossible because of course it's possible. In fact, abolition is the most possible and accessible solution. It is the most common sense answer because abolition and liberation are processes, not destinations. And there is room for all of our imaginings and creativity. And to achieve this abolitionist future, we must be unrealistic in our visions because all substantive social change has been considered to be unrealistic at the time people thought it were until those people change the world to make it happen. Imaginative spaces are key to true liberatory change because we must be able to imagine something different before we can build it. And right now, for all of us living in this moment, we have lived all our lives within systems that tell us radical change is an impossibility. But I don't give up that easy. And I urge you to resist the desisters. I urge you to roll up your sleeves, link arms and close your eyes and free fall back into our dreaming spaces so my people can propel us all forward into an abolitionist future, a future as beautiful as my ancestors' past. Together, I think it's possible. After all, who we are and what we are comes from the alchemy of our struggles, and my people are proven magic makers. Thank you. That was the incredible Tabitha Lean for imagining abolitionist futures. Hosts Nayuka and Whitgori close the show with advice for folks wanting to learn more about abolition in all its forms and support the organisations working to support incarcerated people. Thank you for listening. To be, to hear from people who are so smart and strong and are sharing fighting words is just amazing um and to yeah we all need to take leadership from people with lived experience so thank you so much everyone um for those of us who are interested to go along in an abolitionist journey there's some things that we can all do um we have some homework we have some homework <laughs> if, you're, um, if you're joining us tonight we assume you are on this wavelength um, and also probably corrections or pops as well. Um, but so one of the things that is happening right now um, in a Victorian context, so the the government is um, looking to put a, a shit ton of money towards expanding the Dame Phyllis Frost women's prison down here um, while there is still a massive need for housing and so many other needs in our community. Um that would actually benefit our community. So there's an incredible campaign against that expansion happening called Homes Not Prisons. Um, if everyone could just jump on the homesnotprisons.com.au website and sign the petition, that's a very simple thing to support um, that campaign and, and say no to that expansion and expansions of prisons in general. 
Um, also, of course, pay the rent is an incredibly important um, fund that exists, particularly for us as settlers, especially us white settlers, to be paying the rent back um, as colonisers of this country. Um, so paytherent.net.au, um, you can donate to, um, set up a monthly contribution, take a chunk out of your salary, whatever you need to do. Um, There's also um, the Trans and Gender Diverse um, Incarcerated Incarceration Fund, uh, which um, Whit and I helped set up. Um, so, Rosa, we need to talk, um, especially people up in the NT. Um, yeah, so we are not as organised as Pay the Rent, but you can follow us on Instagram and suss out things there. Um, and if you Google the funds, Google there, the there's fund, a GoFundMe yeah. for there with all um, funds going to people who are trans and gender diverse inside and um, those coming out. There's also the Disability Justice Mutual Aid Fund that we'd like everyone to check out um, who's doing some incredible mutual aid work um, with people in the disability community um, that's just kicked off. Um, there's the Free Her campaign started by Debbie Kiwaro from Sisters Inside that provides support to assist with the with covering the, the fines for Aboriginal women and getting Aboriginal women and young women out of prison um, and preventing them going in. Um, There's the Dajua Foundation um, started by well, led by people whose families have died in custody, been killed by the state. Um, they're doing incredible work supporting the families and calling for justice. Um, and also RISE, who work with um, asylum seekers and refugees. Um, and they, yeah, we also, something that we wanted to acknowledge tonight is that prisons aren't just... Prisons exist in many forms and include immigration detention centres, um, juvenile detention centres, etc. And finally, JITA, um, an organisation down here working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women um, and... And also flat out here in Victoria as well who supports women who are criminalised. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force. 
yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Treats CR Community Radio, 855 AM.